Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hey, welcome to Playboys episode nine. We've got myself, Dean, and we've got Alex joining us again. Alex, which play are we talking about today? Oh, everyone's favorite, Winter's Tale. Winter's Tale. I did not remember a single thing about this play, having actually already read it before. It didn't stick with me. (laughs) Well, it does have one of Shakespeare's most famous lines, well, most famous stage directions, Exit Pursued by a Bear. Yes, there is that. Um, There is that. That's the highlight of the entire play. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that was the highlight. There's one thing I laughed at. I'll try to remember. It's a very unimportant detail, but I laughed for some minutes at a, at a totally irrelevant joke that crops up, uh, I think, like three quarters of the way through the play. So I'll try to remember to point that out. Um, and I feel like no one else would have found that funny. And then that was it. Like, there's not really a lot of um, enjoyment to be had from this one. <laughs> I will say I love the snark that Paulina has. So we'll hmm. kind of get into it later, but like the king feels sad and she's like, yeah, you ought to feel sad. You're, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're, you're right. And I, I like that she she has a kind of, you know, I'm not afraid of the king. I'm going to say what's on my mind, you know, vibe, which which I really appreciate because you don't get that a lot. Oh, yeah. She, she, I personally think, has the best character of the entire play. Mm, yeah, I mean, I... I mean, it is debatable. I'm struggling to find think, a better one. <laughs> I think the king is also a very intriguing character. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Paulina actually makes me laugh and I want to hear what she has to say next. Yeah, I mean, I think in any other play, I wouldn't have said she was my favorite, but I'm looking at the dramatis persona and there's not anyone else that I like. <laughs> so... So actually, I wanted to mention it. You mentioned before we started this uh, that if I don't turn up to today's books, boys, maybe <laughs> I've been attacked by a bear that, like that one guy. And yeah. I like that you say that one guy because so many of the characters in this are so forgettable. I couldn't remember his name. We let my notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember half the people's names. It was easily. a titchiness, wasn't it? I couldn't pronounce it. Yeah, but I think it was him. Paulina's husband, yeah. No, hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Paulina's husband's Antigonus, yeah. Antigonus, so whatever. But yeah, it's it's not... Um, when, when even the most memorable scene, you can't remember the name of the character from it, it's not great. Like, it's, it's definitely not yeah. up there with his best work. Oh, absolutely not. And it is actually one of his later works. People say it was written probably around like 1610. So maybe it was slipping at that time or... It's, maybe... around, it's around the same time as the, you know, like a Winter's Tale. And, and I quite like that. Sorry, this is a Winter's Tale. It's around the same time this as is... the, 
is around the same time as The Tempest, which I quite liked when we reviewed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I feel like Tempest is contentious. Mm. I mean, we're not discussing that too much now, but people either find it very boring or maybe passable. Okay, fair. I mean, and to be fair, when I look at what other plays are, are close to time, you've got the likes of Henry VIII, which no one cared about, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe his last few plays aren't known to be his best, and, and this is kind of yeah. mixed in with those. I think Tempest is probably the best of those, mm. personally. Uh, there are still some funny things with the comedy, the clown type in that play. But, yeah, this play is not my favorite, that's for sure. And something, before we get into it, like something that I, I asked you just before we went on air, I was like, Dude, is this is this a comedy or a tragedy? You know, I, I read it and the whole time I'm thinking maybe I'll find out at the end. Like the ending is going to be either funny or or sad. And then it's kind so of you, neither. So you see, I only remembered from like the end of Act Three onward. The so I couldn't remember the first part and rereading it again. Wow, Acts One through Three are probably my favorite just for how insane they are. Acts four and five is just like, all right, let's, let's get this over with. Like, it is much better as a tragedy than it is as a comedy, I feel. Yeah, I just feel that it lacks something. You know, you would have needed to write a little bit more into it oh. to make it funny or a little bit more into it to make it really tragic. And it's just kind of wavering in the middle. Like, it has some romantic elements as well, but it's just, it's just kind of, it's just a play. It's not really anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wrote in my notes that it's Air Sats Othello for the first half <laughs> it is just poor man's othello yeah i mean i think that's that's actually very fair that's the most i could say about this one you know it's i didn't it's, get a lot it's of enjoyable enjoyment. it's enjoyable for how crazy uh, leontes yes yeah, so the, the first two acts for leontes yeah he's enjoyable but after oh, after yeah. that i i get i get nothing from the rest yeah yeah. So let's let's so, talk about quickly who's actually in the play. So we just mentioned Leontes. He's the king of uh, Sicilia. Yep. And so we Sicilia, have then... his wife, um, Hermione. Hermione. Yep. Uh, like the Harry Potter girl. And we have well, we will have later their daughter Perdita, the little lost girl. Um, I like, that's well, that's what, what it means actually. It lost means. one. Yeah. The very well well yeah, named yeah. Uh, well named because it's it's little and female and lost, so it's perfect. And um, that was clever. Um, then we have um, their son, Mamilius. He's not that important, but we'll mention him. And then just some random lords that are all interchangeable, like Antigonus and Cleomenes and, and Dion. The only one I think that's important is Camillo. Yeah. Camillo, yeah, absolutely. Antigonus um, as well, of course, and the wife, Paulina. Then you also have... Paulina's the wife, yeah, she's Bohemia. important. Yeah. <clears throat> What's, how's his name pronounced? Polixenes. Polixenes, okay. king of Bohemia, and... I guess it's Florizel, his um, his son. And yeah. then there's Archidamus, who's just a lord in Bohemia. And um, already forgot what he is. Yeah, I can't remember him in the play. <laughs> and Autolycus, who's a rogue. Uh, he He's kind of faffing about a little bit in Bohemia, scheming and peddling his wares. 
Um, okay, that's that, the pickpocket. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. Other than that, we you, have, you get the you know, shepherd and the clown. Yeah, unnamed, those are the other two important. Shepherd, clown. You know, we see a jailer at one point. There's a mariner. Lots of unnamed lords and yeah. lots of unnamed gentlemen. First gentleman, second gentleman, third gentleman. Couldn't be bothered naming them, I guess. You know. I mean, you could have given them a name like with some of the other people at the festival, and I would have given as much of a crap. I mean, yeah. To be fair, we wouldn't have remembered the name anyway. Um, yeah. There are two named shepherdesses. I don't know why they get names. Mopsa and Dorcas. They're only in like one scene and they do nothing. I don't know why they're named. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you wrote them down because I didn't because I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, um, I did. They're irrelevant to so, the entire play. Act four, scene four. We're going to get to it, but <laughs> oh my goodness. I have to force myself through that every time. Yeah. That's the one that's like and, 900 lines, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's his second longest scene, wow. I believe. I mean, 900 lines, really? So that's almost as long as the entirety of Comedy of Errors? No, I don't think um, it's that bad. Not, it's almost the length of some of a Greek tragedy, which they typically are like a thousand or just over a thousand <laughs> lines. So you know, that one scene is like almost a Greek tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Now, reading it is better, I will say. Watching it is torture because that scene just by itself lasts an hour no oh my yeah. goodness no, at I, least in my memory i yeah. can't i can't do that it's it's i thought so i read the first two acts and i thought this is really fun and then you said to me yeah you're not going to see much of leontes after this and i'm thinking well this play is going to go in a completely different direction than i thought and then it does but then the different direction is nothing they don't yes. do much in Bohemia. They just kind of faff about for like yes. a couple thousand lines. And that's what makes this play suffer so much. Act four. And I, I think act five could be funny if done correctly. But yeah, ended I, act three. That would have been a perfect time for it. It's yeah. a tragedy. And yeah. When I read the very final scene, I did think that it brought things back a little bit. Like It was the first time in the entire play where I thought, oh, I remember having read this before. It was the only memorable moment in the entire play, is that last <laughs> scene, everything else. It was new to me, even though I've already read it two years ago. You know, It's fair. So shall we discuss the insanity that is acts one and two i think so guys if you're listening the the first half of the show is going to be the more entertaining half i hope because that's the the two good acts but oh yeah yeah <laughs> Act three I, I kind of like just for all right we're going off the deep end now but yeah i guess you know the, the play does have some entertaining parts and i don't i don't want to write this off and just say this is you know unreadable garbage or anything like that there are funny moments in it and there are, there are entertaining moments in it especially in the first half yeah absolutely it, don't read this one looking for a masterpiece i just say like go in looking for a good time and then yeah. end after act three that's it yeah <laughs> End of after act three, and then just skip to the very last scene. You'll lose a little bit in context, but you'll skip all the crap in the middle. Yeah. There's a sort of love story, then you just need to know those two characters' names, and that's it. That's it. So, yeah, yeah. let's let's start. So, most of the play is in, is in Sicilia. Um, act four is in Bohemia, basically, more or less. Uh, and yeah. at the very end of act three. So, 
We start in Sicilia, we have Archidamus, who is just a, a random lord of Bohemia, and he's there in Sicilia. He's talking to Camillo, who's one of the lords uh, in, in Sicilia. Um, really, this first act is very short. It's only about 40 lines or so. It's just an intro. Like, nothing really happens. They're just talking about, you know, there's a royal visit being paid. King of Bohemia is in Sicilia. So all they're really doing is introducing yeah. us to the play. Nothing really happens there. Yeah, I didn't even write anything down for the first scene. Yeah, Scene two is when things get interesting. So we're introduced to uh, both the kings. King Leontes is friends with uh, Pollux... Pol- <laughs> you pronounce it. Polixenes. Polixenes, the Bohemian uh, sure. king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he says, no, I, it's time for me to go home. Like, I, need, I have business to attend to. And Francis has been trying to persuade him for a long time. Then he has his wife try to persuade uh, Polixenes, and she succeeds. Yeah, I mean, that is a very good, you know, in a nutshell summary of, of what took a long time to say in the play. Yeah. But that is, that is what happens in the act, in the scene, sorry. And, you know, what I, what I should say is, Leontes wants Polixenes to stay. That's not, um, that's not working. So he asks his wife, you know, why don't you go and see if you can persuade him to stay? Assuming that she's going to have more success than him because, you know, I guess she's a pretty woman. Use your kind of womanly ways on this guy, you know. So that's what he's asking for. And then as she goes to do it and it seems to be working, then he starts kind of saying, you know, well, I'm not the first person to have been a cuckold. And my first kind of thought is, oh, so is that what he wants? Like, was that his plan? But it was not. Like, no, he just immediately <laughs> gets paranoid. Like, wait, maybe they're together. Yeah, like from nowhere. Like after sending her to talk to him and then she achieves her mission, you know? Yeah. And immediately he thinks that he's being cuckolded. She's cheating on him. She's having an affair with this other king, right, in his ca- in his own kind of castle, like right under his nose. Kind At of thing. least you have Iago in Othello to get that started and in Othello's mind but here it's just kind of like all right maybe that happens but then <laughs> he goes from north to ten in, in like a second you know it's like wait maybe my son is a bastard he's not actually mine and no no he looks like me okay but my wife's pregnant oh maybe that's Polixenes' baby and maybe he wants to kill me <laughs> yeah like he just goes where is this coming from <laughs> it comes to the writing is horrendous because he, he goes crazy immediately you know within one scene he goes from like a completely sane person to just completely yeah. bonkers with no, yeah. no no real catalyst for it like and of course everyone tells him yeah your wife is faithful what are you talking about and camillo says the same thing and then yeah. the king persuades him like all right I mean, I'll kill you if you don't kill Polixenes. Iago is actually noticeable by his absence here. Like, there is no one scheming. You know, every single yeah. character is saying, you know, she's she's lovely, she's faithful, she's brilliant, she's not done anything wrong, and all the time we've known her. And he's like, well, you're all in on it then. Like, he just goes crazy, you know, he's mass conspiracy from nowhere. Yeah. And I I wonder how an actor can show that from the beginning, some sort of like disturbed type of character. Maybe they do have some sort of paranoia. Maybe they can show it in like the gate or 
just how they carry themselves in the beginning, but I, I that's the hard, hard turn. I, I do <sighs> like what Leontes says to Camillo, though. It, it's just harsh. Like, I say thou liest, Camillo, and I hate thee. Pronounce thee a gross lout, a mindless slave, or else a hovering temporizer that can't with thine eyes at once see good and evil. Like, he just takes it all out on Camillo. Camillo's like, what, what did I do? Uh, <laughs> all right, maybe I should tell Polixenes what's going on and get him out of here. And I need to get out of here because I'm going to be killed by Leontes. Yeah, so, so Camillo so, actually is a morally good person. You know, he basically yeah. says, well, okay, you know, the king's given me my charge. I have to go kill this other king. That is not a good thing to do. So I'm going to give him warning. I'm going to tell him to escape, get his men ready. And I'll go with them because, you know, I'm not in danger. I'm essentially a traitor. But he's doing the right thing. He helps them flee and off he goes with them. Problem is, for Leontes, that seals his fate. That's like what he was in on it then because he's just ran off. (laughs) I feel like Shakespeare tries to do this with a lot of characters that, oh, they have a good intention, but it always just turns out bad. Like you have like in Romeo and Juliet, for example. But here it actually works and he actually does something good. So I, I'm kind of surprised to see that he was successful twice. Yeah. We'll get to that in twice, later. Uh, in the yeah, I mean, can, there's a lot of morally good people in the play. I think we'll get to it later a little bit with like the shepherd and things and the client. I, I think some of the people are decent folk trying to do decent folk things with crazy monarchs running around trying to kill everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, uh, if you look at some of the kings and queens of old. Yeah, some of them are pretty insane. Bathing in the blood of virgins and all that fun stuff. Yeah, a couple of generations or many, many generations of inbreeding will do that for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is there anything else to be said about Act 1? No, other than, yeah, Polixenes, like, what, what, what did I do? And he just, he finally flees. Yeah, so. Mamilius is in this act, it. but he doesn't really do a lot, does he? That's the sun. Uh, it's just boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I exist. I think Shakespeare forgot about him personally. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because he doesn't we'll do get to this at the end of the play. But it's like, <laughs> oh, Hermione. I, I'm so. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't want to get so... into it too much just yet. Some people care about spoilers. <laughs> so that's the summary of Act One, basically, is. Uh, in one sentence, Leontes was crazy for no reason, thinks he's being cuckolded, and Camillo has to help um, Polixenes to escape and goes with him. That's Act 1. Yeah. So Act 2, Scene 1, we do learn at here that the Queen is pregnant. And yeah, Leontes hears that Polixenes is running away. I'm trying so hard to empathize with Leontes here. He's thinking Polixenes has run away. My wife's pregnant. No. My trusted advisor's gone with him. There's a conspiracy, but it's not really believable. I mean, I can see this part. If it were done better beforehand, when you see people run away, it's like, all right, what are they trying to hide here? Yeah. That I can believe. It's just, why would you think so in the first place? Yeah. But what's the time frame here? Because he thinks that the child is not his own. It's that of Polixenes. I mean, does he, but the child is born in this scene. Like, how long does he think a pregnancy lasts? How long was this guy at his castle? Like, yeah. Because as far as he knows, the cuckolding me began 
what, one scene ago? You know, like... Well, to be visibly... To to know that you're pregnant in these times would have probably already been, like, uh, um, maybe two months or so, you would be able to tell? Well, look, there's two ways it could go. It could be that this guy, because they don't tell us, it could be that Polixenes was in his castle for a long time. Uh, and now he's thinking, well, were they having an affair the whole time? Maybe, at a push. But what I read on my kind of first reading of this was, you know, he tells her, convince him to stay, then they start their affair, and then she's immediately giving birth like a day later, <laughs> you know, and he thinks that it's the other guy's baby. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you came to that yeah. conclusion. <laughs> We're missing like seven months or so. Yeah. Six, maybe six months, because they do say the baby was born prematurely. Sure, sure. But it's, well, I don't know. Maybe yeah, she must have been in prison biology. for a while. <laughs> I yeah, don't think she yeah. was in prison for that long. I, I don't know. Yeah, right? So she would have been like maybe seven months pregnant at that time. I think she that would have been very nice. I, I think she mentions they were in prison for about a month because doesn't he send someone off to the Oracle to get answers and they come back within like 21 days or something? Yeah, you're right you know? about that. So unless, you know, unless a pregnancy can be begun and, and completed in like 21 days, then something's not right on this one. But still from like conception to knowing that you're pregnant, like that's easily a month and a half at this point. So I I can see like three months in there. I don't know where the other like five are. Something's missing, but yeah, birth. we'll suspend but, yeah. our belief in biology. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare so, doesn't know about a biology. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say what actually happens. So we've obviously, we've just hit, very unsubtly hinted at it, but he puts Hermione in jail. Right, that's that's kind of what yeah. happens at the beginning of Act Two, um, because he thinks that she's been unfaithful, and this is this usual Shakespeare trope with these like just submissive women. She again, she just accepts her fate. She goes to jail. Does she really make an yeah. attempt to defend herself? Like, I not really. I mean, she, yeah, she does it to an extent but she doesn't do it passionately enough to say like hey i'm seriously not lying here she's she tries like, well, to say that the circumstances you wouldn't believe me if i'm telling the truth yeah so she tries to say the circumstances are unlikely and if i were to argue you wouldn't believe me and that's it like she doesn't she at no point does she say you know okay man like one-on-one here let's have a proper conversation i didn't cheat on you she doesn't ever say that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if people are putting a lot of faith in the Oracle here. They are, but then that would have been usual, you know, in the ancient world, the Delphic Oracle um, was yeah. essentially the, the, the best you could go to, right? Oracle. You're, you, that was trusted for a long, 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 long time in, in the ancient world. So you're not really going to argue with it, although we'll mention that later. Um, it's kind of the, the, the truest authority you're going to get. It's an answer from the gods, mm. you know. So, um, and from, from Apollo. So you, that's it. You know, they they trust the oracle. I'm going to let that slide because that happens in a lot of place, you know. But yeah, so basically, they send someone off and say, "Ask the oracle what happened." In the meantime, I'm going to just pop her in jail there, <laughs> pop a pregnant lady into the prison, and. Um, that's that's more or less how Leontes kind of finishes up with Hermione. 
Yeah. Uh, in the next scene, uh, the baby's born, and it looks like Paulina goes and gets the baby to show to Leontes uh, to soften his heart. Yeah, so pa- Paulina is trying to do good things here. That's um, Antigua's yeah. wife, and she's just a, a friend, or I guess maybe a, technically a servant or, or a way, whatever, but she's a friend of, of, of Hermione's. Yeah, um, Antigonus, they say that uh, he's a doctor and advisor, where Paulina, she says she's a doctor and advisor. Right. We also yeah. briefly see another kind of wedding lady, Amelia, but she's irrelevant. She pops up for a few lines, doesn't really do anything. Yeah, not even um, worth mentioning, honestly. No. Yeah. But pa- Paulina's trying to do good work here, and, and she says to the jailer, the unnamed jailer, you know, give me this, this let, me, let me talk to them, let me take the baby. And he's like, well, I don't know, like, is the baby technically arrested as well? And she says, look, I'll vouch for it, <laughs> like, you know. I'll vouch for it. It's okay. I'm going to take the baby I, to the king. <laughs> I think the baby might be fine. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> but she, well, let's be honest here now. Luckily, we never hear, because, you know, we never come back to it, whether the jailer got in any trouble. But um, yeah. she says, I'll vouch for it, that it'll be fine. And fair enough, maybe the jailer's fine. The baby is not. <laughs> no, no. She so, made a mistake there. <laughs> Yeah, Leontes does see the baby and he gets really mad saying, why would you bring this bastard to me? I don't want to see this uh, son of Polixenes get rid of him. And uh, basically tells Antigonus to take the baby and abandon it outside his kingdom. Yeah, he wants the baby to be um, to be exposed, essentially, right? They just leave it in the wilderness somewhere and let it die, essentially. Yep. And we know that uh, Mamilius got sick at this time because he's worried about his mother, like, for some reason. I, I don't know. It's that whole, like, broken heart makes you sick or kills um, you type thing. Yeah, this one, I was really, like, I had to go back and read it in case I missed something. They just kind of was like, oh, um, by the way, mate, your son died there. I, I think they say that in the trial. Yeah, yeah. So they say the son grew sick here in and then in the Act trial he dies. Three. Yeah, but yeah, in three two, yeah, the son dies, and nobody really cares. No one really cares. Like, yeah, there's no reason mentioned. <laughs> but the only people ca- they care about is Hermione. So in Act three, this is the trial scene or trial act. So the messengers, messengers were ply from the oracle um hermione tries to logically debate with uh, leontes but he's not having any of it and we do see from the oracle that hermione is not guilty uh it says hermione is chaste polixenes blameless camillo a true subject Leontes, a jealous tyrant, his innocent babe truly begotten, and the king shall live without an heir, if that which is lost be not found. Yeah, so they issue their kind of prophecy on that one. Um, what I want to say really, really quickly, because we skipped it, and it, we skipped it for a reason. Yeah. Act 3, scene 1, is again, just nothing. It's just Cleomenes and Dion just having a wee chat. Just two yeah. random lords doing nothing for 20 lines. Well, no, those are, those are the uh, messengers uh, returning from seeing the oracle. No, that's happening. No, does that not happen at the beginning of? It's actually scene one. Okay, right. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not super necessary. We could totally just no. I, I think that happens that at, the beginning of, at the beginning of scene two. two. The beginning of scene two, oh. re-enter officers with Cleomenes and Dion, and they then say we have the answer from the Oracle. So the first scene, they just nothing happens. It's only a twenty-line scene. It's I don't know why it's there. Yeah, they're talking about what they're doing, and then they're brought in later. In they're brought in later, two. yeah. With the actual information. Could have cut that scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Could have cut that scene. So, look, yeah, Act 3, Scene 2, you're right, then. The Oracle comes in, they get an officer to read it, and this one... Well, what, what's strange to me is... So, the Oracle in this is a paper. It's a scroll. I didn't know that. I thought Oracle would be a person. Uh, so, the Oracle would, I guess, just be like the sh- would be the shrine at Delphi. You would have a priestess... Um, Pythia, who would you know get high on a lot of fumes and, and deliver the the oracle? I guess they've just written down what she said. They wouldn't, you know, the, the priests wouldn't have written it down. So they, I'm assuming they have whoever's gone to here has has written it down. Well, what they say is uh, that it's sealed, right? So here's this like scroll that's sealed. Yeah, uh, no one's looked into it, right? I don't right, know. I mean, did they seal says. it? Because I don't think that's necessarily like relevant with how. Greek oracle would have worked unless we're talking about a later okay. time period you know we might have moved on from like classical Greece at this point because that, that oracle was around for a long time so I can't say what happened in in like later times Hellenistic times and Roman times but anyway yeah look that doesn't matter um but it's just kind of interesting to me that uh they refer to an oracle but in this case the oracle is the paper yeah I think that's they bring um, out the oracle and they bring out a scroll yeah that's not something. quite right <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. It's fine, you know. Um, yeah. I think as long as you know what's going on, I don't think it really matters. But the officer reads it out, and immediately Leontes, you know, he says, and this is definitely what was said, and, you know, no one's tampered with this. Yes, yes. Oh, it's all a lie then. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't accept fake it anyway, news. Which is, like, unprecedented, you know? <laughs> yeah, fake news. That didn't happen. Oh, and now your son's dead. Okay. Yeah, this is where they then just say, oh, and your son's dead, because... That's what they said. You'll not have an heir, right? That was what they just read out. So then immediately his son dies. And oh, and now your wife's dead. Okay. And now he believes it. Like after rejecting the oracle from, you know, from the God, then immediately his son dies. He's like, oh, they did say that would happen. Guess I believe it now. Just completely flips immediately. He's like, yep, that fair enough. Yep. Oh, it was my bad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He pleads for forgiveness from Apollo. Like, oh, I, I'm sane now. Yeah, like and he, he, he just shuts himself away for 16 years. It's crazy. He just completely loses the weird bout of insanity that he's had for, for two acts. I mean, I can see that being a funny thing as well. Like, oh, I'm saying now could be an interesting character choice, but it would make zero sense. It makes no sense. Like, this is. <laughs> Ah, moments like that remind me that this was not a good play. (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. And we haven't Um, even, we haven't even mentioned like just random throwaway bits of sexism where, you know, Leontes is complaining that um, Antigonus is unable to rule Paulina and that she's, you know, outspoken and he's like, what, can't not rule her? Like, you know, she's your woman, you know, tell her, tell her what's what. And I just skipped over that because there's only so many times I can point out the sexism in these plays. Yeah, if we were to, I mean, we could do like a five-hour podcast on sexism in Shakespeare, but I don't see it really being worth it. 
No, it's okay. it's not. You know, it's just yeah, it is what it is. But um, yeah. you're gonna get that with anything, right? You know, you could you could mm-hmm. you could talk about Greek plays and find similar things. You know, it's whatever. You know, you have to allow it to be a product of the time. And I just thought I'd mention it, but there's no real need to to dwell on it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get uh, act three, scene three, the last interesting act to me or scene to me. So Antigonus arrives in Bohemia in an area that apparently is a desert or there's just not much there, something like that. Anyway, he's warned by the Mariner that there are predators and then a bear appears and kills him. (laughs) I don't know what's happening here. So yeah, he, he lays down the baby. He puts a little parcel of things with it and the baby's going to be exposed and he feels bad doing it, but I guess he does it anyway. And there we go. That's in theory, the baby's left to die and then exit pursued well, by I, a bear. <laughs> I don't know if he was necessarily planning to just leave the baby if he would have felt bad about it, but the bear forced him away maybe yeah, yeah he leaves like convenient he does leave the pendant there. and like a scroll with information and money that the shepherd eventually finds and yeah that's basically it yeah the shepherd who is you know um named shepherd um with with no other kind of defining characteristics but he's a nice chap and the clown is his son what do you think about <laughs> which is a very interesting <laughs> When I think of clown, I don't think of him being like a boy or a teenager, like having his father there. I always think of the clown being his own entity. Yeah, that that struck me as a bit unusual. And he's not really a clown either, really. No, he's not. He doesn't really try to make many jokes. He doesn't do many play on words. I mean, here and there. Next to no clowning. If anything, um, Autolycus is more of a clown in some respects. He makes the only joke, which I'm going to get to in a minute in the play, which I which I do love. Um, I I think he's a waste of a character, though. He uh, is also Autolycus. a waste of a character. He is, yeah. Apart apart from like, his little joke, which you're going to hear in a moment, and you're going to find it not funny at all. Apart from that, uh, he's not needed in the play. <laughs> yep. Yep. <sighs> so I guess we'll, let's just wrap up what happens. At three, scene three, we finally get to Bohemia, and you're right. Like this is almost where it could have ended, you know. Um, yeah, I we, think it's we, where it should have. Yeah, we wrap up with the client and the shepherd talking, and they they find the uh, the baby, and they're happy, and they're like, let's let's go do good things. They they basically end the the act by saying, let's be good people and do good things. Hurrah! And that's it. <laughs> yep. Then we interact four. And what is scene one? I I wanted. I was just going to bring this up. Your favorite, your favorite Shakespearean uh, cliche here of a one scene chorus. Yes, he does. does not know how to use a chorus. It really, really angers me. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's time. It is a single character. A single character cannot be a chorus. No, no. So not not only is the chorus just, this is not how you use a chorus, this is not a chorus, that's not what this is, but one character, or I guess the essence of time, the, you know, the god of time, whatever, that is not a chorus, that is just one character. This is like nothing. It feels, 
it feels more like a morality play to me from like medieval era. So you have like happiness and sadness and time. Like that yeah. makes sense to me, but this is weird. I mean, okay. It's not important. It's a short scene, but it I'll also, tell you what this like, really does. Some buttons it's for me too. 30 lines of gibberish, which equate to the fact that time has now passed. That's yeah, what this 16 means. years later. That's all you need. Title card finished. Yeah, they could have literally just said some time has passed. They didn't need to include the, yeah. the, this chorus. I'm, they do say Leontes just kind of hold himself up and Florizel's the son of uh, Piloxenes, but eh, okay, sure. Yeah, that, Moving on. Most of the, fir- the first scene of, so far, am I right in thinking the first scene of every act could have been cut? Uh, <laughs> not act two, scene one, but yes, every other one. Uh, one and three and four, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what about five? Uh, no, that one's five. actually somewhat important. But so so far, three of the first four scenes could have been cut. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. It's act four scene two. Yeah, uh, that's all we have to say about uh, about scene one. Shakespeare doesn't I mean, know how to do a chorus. You're hearing us get a little bit. Yeah, more negative here. I'm sighing more. Yeah, you know how we feel about this. Well, this is. I, I was re- I was doubly disappointed. Obviously, I was disappointed because this next bit's garbage. But I was doubly disappointed because I actually went in with high expectations. When you said it was going to change, for some reason I thought it was going to change for the better. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, and now we're going to to Bohemia, and it's going to be a totally different vibe. We don't have crazy Leontes anymore. What's going to happen? And I thought, okay, you know, this is. Um, this is going to be a really interesting thing. You know, it's okay, scene two, scene three, they're pretty short. Scene four is really long. So in my head, I think, this must be where the entire play happens, like in scene four. <laughs> and then nothing happens from most Act four, of you mean? Yeah. So in, in, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We learn that Camilla wants to go home. Piloxenes wants him to stay. Florzo wants to marry Perdita. All right. That's, that's most of act four. That is more or less it. Yeah, I mean, oh, I don't and know. That's that scene too. Like, there's still two more scenes after that. Yeah, you get Atolicus in there, who's just a pickpocket. He's stealing from people. He's useless. I don't care about him. Um, I, I guess he shows up throughout, and he sort of progresses the story. Why um, does he actually turn into a good guy? Why does he feel like he owes Florizel? <laughs> I don't know. know. He, but he shows up throughout, but as you you know, only in the last two acts. So it's it's still pointless. Like he hasn't been driving the play yet, you know. Yeah. This is like two different plays. Like this the stuff that happens in Act yeah. Four is like a totally different play from the rest of the play. <laughs> now, this is where it really gets me. So the main to write a good play, you need conflict. Act four, scene four has almost zero conflict for two thirds of it. Yeah. It's just, let's dance and sing. And oh my goodness, kill me. I, li- I like that we covered uh, scene three in one li- line, sort of autologous, you know, if asked about it, because that's really all that happens. He talks to the yeah. coin and that's, that's that. He's introduced, scene. he steals <laughs> something. Happens. He peddles his yeah. wares and that's, that's it. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's uh, scene four. Uh, he peddles his wares. He sells everything that he can. And uh, 
Is there anything else in Act Four that we need to discuss I mean, before? I mean, let, well, before let's just, let's just say what Scene yeah. Four is. So it's almost nine hundred lines. The first, I think, ha- like third of it, nothing. Ha- like literally, nothing happens. Yeah. They they dance yeah. around. They bring in some people to sing and dance, and they they they're happy. You know, Florisol and Perdita are in love. That's great. And that that's it. Like, not there's no events. There's there's no content in like the first three hundred and four hundred maybe lines of this of this act. Yeah. The king shows up for some reason. I don't know why, but he's disguised. So is Camillo. <sighs> why are they always doing Florizel's disguised? Why are they disguised? I don't know, but I mean, well. It's a king. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen. But why does Florizel not recognize? I mean, it's Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look. And then Polixenes doesn't recognize Florizel at first. Polixenes and Camillo are disguised, but Polixenes' um, son, Florizel, does not recognize him in his disguise. He then, you know, I can't see that there's any purpose to the disguise. They don't do anything, they don't achieve anything. Um, It's just for the reveal. It's just so they can reveal it later. I don't yeah. know why. But let's let's say what they reveal. So the actual content yeah. that happens here is Florizel and Perdita want to get married. And the shepherd, you know, who I guess is the de facto parent of Perdita at this point, you know, yep. he's he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like they seem to love each other. He seems to not know that Florizel's the prince um, or hasn't because he, he accuses Perdita of hiding that fact. Um, and you know they say Polixenes in his disguise kind of says what are you going to tell your father and Florizel says no I have some reasons that I don't want to tell him we never find out what those are he just has some reasons that he doesn't want to tell him and then the well I think it's because he wouldn't be allowed to marry someone of uh, lower class I guess and I think they do discuss that sort of but it's yeah not delved into but the, the baiting that happens. So he says, like, no, I don't want to tell my, my father. And without him saying a bad word about his father, Polixeni starts saying, oh, like, you know, so you're just a ream of insults. Like, did these apply to your father? And he's like, no, he's he's kind of dead on, though. I just don't want to tell him about the marriage. <laughs> yeah, he's a big guy. And then he takes off the cloak and reveals, it's me, your father. You're it all was, cursed. Yeah, it was me, Austin. Son, you're coming back home. <laughs> Woman. Don't touch my son. I will scar you. I will scar your face. Yes. The stage direction is discovering himself, which I thought was an interesting way to to put it. Um, And yeah, he's going to attack everyone and, you know, he's going to punish them all for trying to marry this shepherdess to the prince because that's, you know, a class issue, I guess. Yeah. And he threatens violence. And, you know, Leontes did a bit of that earlier, which I think we maybe rushed over. But when he said, you know, you gotta, you got to kill this baby, otherwise, you know, I'm going to punish you. These kings are just going around threatening violence on everyone, man. It's just not cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at this point, I realized Polixenes doesn't have a character. Nope. <laughs> not a single <laughs> character until now. I mean jealousy at this point are they but... trying to make him insane too like is this just a rerun of what just happened with leontes is that what we're meant to think maybe kings just be insane they just be crazy because this is twice in one play that two kings have been crazy with no motivation or catalyst or rhyme or reason you know? 
Yeah, no, none at all. And so Florizel says then that he is going to run away and they're going to go to Sicily. Good guy Camillo. Camillo. Good guy Camillo's in and he says, well, look, I would love to go back to Sicily. So, you know, I'll take you there and I'll help you escape just like I did with Polixenes before. So, you know, good Samaritan Camillo saves the day once again. (laughs) Yeah, but then Camillo does tell Polixenes about this. Yeah, he does, to be fair. Because he wants to clear it up. And it works. Yeah, it didn't super good anything. guy. Super good guy, Camillo. You know, he <laughs> fixes everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, spoiler, I mean, it kind of works out for him later. He gets married and uh, rewarded for all of that. Well, I will talk about that, because uh, I wasn't thrilled about that. I mean, that was also like the second to last line in the entire play. It was weird. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thrilled about that. Um, I'm going to yeah. mention something now because I don't know if it happened. Either it happens later in this scene or we've already missed it. No, it's here. It's actually, it's right near the end of the scene. This is the funny bit. This is why the play is a comedy for me. The shepherd says to Autolycus, the, who's, you know, peddling his wares and, and fapping about, are you a courtier? And like you, sir. And Autolycus replies, whether it like me or no, I am a courtier. I laughed for several minutes at that line so he's basically just saying you know are you are you a courtier if you like and, it, and he's kind of like well whether it likes me or not i'm a courtier and i just i don't know i just thought that was the, the the funniest thing i'd heard all day all right all right yeah for me it was uh one of paulina's lines later on that made me laugh a bit but that was I the only time i the only time i was thoroughly entertained in in all of this play was was that line from from Autolycus. The otherwise unimportant character. Can we say anything about him? I mean, he's going around, well, he's peddling his wares and he's selling, he's dressed funny and ribbons everywhere and he's selling things. I mean, he's pickpocketing, I get. Why do we have him? I don't know. And then for some reason, they have him strip and change clothes with Florizel. And then he somehow, or for some reason now owes... Florizel for something because he didn't like clothes. like what what is going on at this point <laughs> I don't know I I feel like that he's trying to have him sneak away not be noticed sure uh, okay yeah yeah so maybe maybe look let's get Florizel out of here let's have him change clothes his dad will never recognize him if he changes clothes you know and then so then I thought okay now Autolycus is dressed like the prince. And I'm thinking, is the king going to think this is his son because he's wearing his clothes? But no, we, we never we never have that scene. So that doesn't, the fact that he's disguised goes nowhere. Yep. Absolutely nowhere. <laughs> and then, I mean, I feel like I don't understand how things happened going into Act 5 here. So the shepherd also with the clown go to sicily because what what i know what i really know about you know um shepherds in this time is that they can afford to just hop on a boat and just three week journey over to like another country i i mean what's his name Uh, antigonus must have brought a ton of money with him when he was abandoning perdita well yeah they did get some gold uh apparently but i mean i don't know i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah, I, 
it doesn't make a lot of sense. And honestly, I don't know if Shakespeare knew what he, he was writing at this point. No, so, I don't think so he because I mean, Act Five, Scene Two. Uh, I'm skipping Scene One in a way, but everything's done off just off the stage. Like everything's yeah. done. Look, man, I was so disappointed with Act Five. I thought. There were oh, yeah. good, there were, a lot of stuff could have happened that is left out. And there's a lot of stuff that we could have used to wrap up the play and to explain things and to have reconciliations with characters. And then it's just rushed through in, in this last act. Like everything's rushed through. As yeah. you say, a lot of stuff happens off screen. The ending is suspicious, but enjoyable in a way. It's... This is not how you end a play. <laughs> this, this act is not good. No, not at all. Like, so we see Leontes, he still feels bad. Paulina's like, yeah, you, you really should still feel bad. And everyone's like, hey, don't say that. But he, it's been 16 years and they're still having these conversations. Really? These characters have nothing else going on. Like, that is, that is what I feel about them. Literally nothing. This, they're so one-dimensional. Except for Paulina, who's just funny. So, yeah, Perudita, Florizel arrive. Um, Perudita doesn't have a character either. She's just pretty woman. She's, uh, yeah, she's pretty lost girl. Her, her name is the most interesting thing about her entire character. <laughs> There's nothing yeah, else going on. Yeah. Then Act 5, Scene 2, we hear that... Oh, now it's been told that she's the daughter of Leontes. We don't see it on stage. They just talk about it. And yes, yeah. so the, the big reveal, of- the big climax moment, the, the, yeah. the crescendo of the play, we are told about, you know, third hand, we just we, some some unnamed non character gentlemen talk to each yeah. other about it. Yeah, yeah, here. <laughs> it's some random guy <laughs> saying that this all happened and the kings apologized to each other. Who are you? <laughs> like, yeah, who are these people? We haven't seen them before. They have no names. There's not even an attempt at characters here. And all the best action of the play takes place off screen. Like, I I can see this being funny, though. I can, if, I mean, written differently. Like, you have characters come on the stage. Sorry, guys, we're, we're running out of time. So they made up. He knows this now. All right, we good? Let's move on. So... But at this point, I'm sitting here scr- literally scratching my head thinking, is this a comedy or a tragedy? I cannot figure it out. I mean, it's, it is a comedy, I guess. Now, yeah, Paulina learns about her husband. So that happens. But there is a marriage later. She gets married off to Camillo. Spoilers, I guess. Who cares? Yeah. Um <laughs> They talk about there being a very lifelike statue of Hermione and they all go to this tomb or Paulina's house or I don't so, know. So Paulina has been keeping her has Paulina been keeping Hermione alive secretly for 16 years and no one has noticed. <laughs> like they say it's a sculpture, and I prefer thinking of it as magic that the sculpture came to life. But that would be funny if yeah, Hermione just didn't actually die. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I know they mentioned there's a statue, but Paulina knows it's going to come to life. And that's why I assume, you know, it's not really a statue. And I think that there is, yeah, Paulina draws a curtain and discovers Hermione standing like a statue. It doesn't say yeah. a statue of Hermione. You know, 
Now, maybe that's just, you know, maybe yeah. I'm reading too much into that one stage direction, but I'm, this is not explained. This is nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess when I seen it before it was in, it was a director's choice to have it surrounded by other statues to make it her look like a statue, right. that, like the life in a way, but yeah. I mean, that's not... better than what you get just by reading it. <laughs> that's at least yeah. something happening. Um, yeah. I'm reluctant to say that, you know, a statue came to life because then we need more backstory about the statue and how it was made and how it came to life <laughs> and all. And there's nothing about that. Um, oh yeah, no. But I'm saying magic- she kept her alive for 16 years. But again, there's nothing about that either. <laughs> no, no, none of it's explained. <laughs> it's kind of a big F you here. And so I, I do also just love just the irony of it. So Leontes and Hermione rejoin and he's like, oh, I'm so happy again. There's no mention of Amelius. Screw him. Nobody cares about him. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just the totally doesn't get matter. all about the sun. Family's all back together, you know. I don't like, even think he him. even, he doesn't even look at Perdita throughout half this, I don't think. No. They don't talk about, you know, there's not really much of a scene, you know, Camillo's back and they do get, you know, when they, they hear Camillo's back and the king says, oh, is it is it that, you know, Camillo? But I didn't see like a big warm hearted, oh, I haven't seen you in 16 years. I'm so sorry that you had to run away. Didn't get any of that from him. I'm sorry that I tried to make you kill a baby. You know, uh, sorry, I'm try- I tried to make you kill the king. And yeah. then they don't talk about the guy that he also tried to make kill a baby who got eaten by a bear. You know, that's never mentioned again. Yeah. I just... It's all done off stage. I mean, they sort of touch on it, but yeah, it's... The reconciliations are really quite appalling. Um, I have two problems. I have two moral problems with the end of the play. One is what you mentioned. He basically just says, well, Paulina, thanks for fixing everything. Um, you deserve to marry someone. Oh, there's my friend Camillo. Uh, you guys are getting married. You are his prize because he's also done good work. You know, I don't really like that he just decides, well, you guys are getting married regardless of whether you've ever yeah. spoken before or like each other or anything like that. I mean, they don't say anything against it. Well, the play so ends. Maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> the play immediately ends, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. But my other problem is we are supposed to think that Hermione... You know, and I'm sure this is a nice scene where she's almost like a goddess. Oh, yeah. she's, the, the discovered statue, she comes to life. The artist can't believe it. And they're back together. And this is amazing. And she Would, forgives him. She forgives him. Would she want to get back with someone who accused her of, of cheating on him after telling her to convince the guy to stay, put her in prison whilst she was pregnant, tried to kill their child... And then just Active, let her die. Well, like, passively killed their other child. Let the other child die as well. You know. Yeah. And she's just like, well, you know. And the, what, what has she been doing for sixteen years? That not. Why is now the moment that she wants to get back with him? Like she's been staying for sixteen years with Paulina, and for some reason now they just decide, well, now is the moment that we'll all get back together based on nothing having happened. Like I don't, I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah, I, I just love that nobody cares at all about Mamilius. <laughs> that that yeah. just makes me laugh. I feel like nobody cares yeah. about anything, including Shakespeare at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's like, all right, I just need this to be done. Like, just do it off stage. Who cares? I just, I can't understand the motivation for them to get back together now 
at the moment that Perdita's back. So it's like, I guess your your daughter's back. Somehow we figured out that it's your daughter um, off screen. There's an you know, amulet or whatever in a letter. Therefore, now it's time for the mum to come back and we're all happy. I was like, well, what was she going to do otherwise? Like, was she just going to pretend to be a statue till she died? Like, what, what has she been, what was her, her life goal at this point? Like, I just don't, I don't know what's happening. Because they're saying that Leontis has been repentant for most of those 16 years. Yeah. So couldn't she yeah. come back to him before? Like, not, this doesn't make any sense, no matter how I look. Motivations in this do not <laughs> exist. They're not clear. I, I am sorry, Iago, for saying that your motivation was lackluster. Um <laughs> Yeah. Sure, you didn't get the promotion, kill this guy. I don't care. It at least makes more sense than these people. <laughs> these people have no motivation. But, you know, now I feel so bad because you'll remember when we did the last one there. Uh, we were very, very critical. And then we had to point out at the end. We did like it, though. Oh, yeah. I and I feel I so it. bad for being critical of Othello because they, compared yeah. to this, this is trash. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I will say... This is some fun trash for the first three acts. It, it gets boring as hell throughout acts four and five. I I really had to push myself through them. Yeah. But at the yeah, very, very least, you know, you could I, I think you need to, you know, you need a bit of act five to wrap up the play, maybe, but like act, act four, the entire part that takes place in Bohemia, really. You can just skip that entire act. There's yeah. nothing, there's, there's, they're dancing around, they're faffing about, nothing really happens. Autolycus is doing nothing. Like, you can literally skip the entirety of Act Four, which is the longest act, and nothing that you lose like nothing the play, yeah. from the play. You like, you don't lose anything by, by skipping that act. And as you say, you know, even Act Five, well, you're looking for a lot of things to be solved and to come together, but they kind of don't. Like, Act Five is really weak as well. Like, this is not. You could have ended at Act 3 and it would have been a kind of a tragedy and that might have been a better way to end it. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like as a director or something, like I would try to have some gags in it just to make it funny. Like Act 5 scene like 2, when the, they just say it all happens off stage, like I would probably just have like a countdown mm. uh up on the screen or something saying like time left until the end of the play and then the actors look <laughs> at it and be like oh we got 10 minutes so this happened off stage we got to do this okay act five scene three let's go okay so that yeah if you've if you've said it that it is a comedy ongoing then that's funny but yeah, there wasn't but there's, you a, need, there's a clown that does no clowning there's my i i love my joke you need a good director but yeah <laughs> yeah this, you need to add gags you do to it there that are not jokes there needs to be something yeah yeah and and that's why my favorite is still uh my favorite comedy is still uh loves labors one uh much much ado about nothing sorry that's yeah. the general name uh just because with the royal shakespeare company they added gags that are not in the play that made it even funnier and like play on words that work nowadays that wouldn't have made sense back then like there are jokes about electricity and things like See, um <sighs> I don't know. In general, I'm a purist with these things. You know, I like to see them done exactly like word for word what's in the play and don't change anything normally. But this play... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not changing any of the words in it. They are making it... They're modernizing the gags, mm. I would say. Okay. But all the language is still the same. Okay, okay, good. 
Um, yeah. I've seen some done before where they modernize, like even speaking like modern accents. Like, you know, I don't want to see people speaking I mean, in like modern. Romeo and Juliet is rough. And... Leonardo DiCaprio one. It's funny, but yeah, it's that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. I like a more traditional BBC kind of production, even though they're kind of boring. I'm not going to lie. You know, I so this was my favorite of the BBC productions that I watched. Right. Winter's Tale. Because I thought it was well done, very interesting sets, good actors. Mm. Um, and yeah. But I'll, I'll just, just say this it? to anyone who's thinking about yeah. staging this. This is the one play. Go nuts. Write whatever you need to write into it. Change whatever you need to change. If you can make this play make sense and be entertaining, you get free license. Do what you want to do with it. Absolutely. Because the play by itself, <laughs> if I were to rank the play just based on the play itself it would be near the bottom of my list but when you can have like a good performance then it did get in the middle of my list uh when i was ranking the comedies Mm. so i'm thinking this is near the bottom for me like maybe maybe dead last but maybe not it's close yeah i i forget what it was i think i ranked it like eighth out of like 14 Mm. Mid range, yeah, yeah. It was just because it was a well done uh, performance. Fair enough, you know. Perform, I, and we have to always stress that you know, performance is a, is an important part of these. These are plays. Yeah. These are these are not books. You're not meant to just read them. You know. Absolutely, yeah. So I think that's us. Is there is there anything else? I think that you that's want to everything. Say? No, I feel like there's not really a lot to say about this one, to be honest. Like I think you know, with with Othello, we picked apart a lot of stuff that was going on. There's nothing going on in this play. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm good. I I've made my piece. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> never gonna read it. that one again. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Um, let's see if I like Shrew more than that. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you wanna do you wanna reveal the next one? You were reluctant to to do it, but we're I gonna... <laughs> don't like Aiming of the Shrew. That one is ranked even lower than this play. Yeah. Um well, why did I okay? Uh, I ranked this one 10 out of 16. That's kind of fair, but I mm-hmm. I would push it. Why did I rank it above Cymbeline? I like Cymbeline. I don't anyway. know. Cymbeline's very long, isn't it? I can't remember if I liked it or not. I just remember that it was long. Yeah, I find it kind of hard to understand personally. Yeah. But well, anyway, there we go. That that's that's us. Uh, yeah, next time it's going to be the, the the dreaded shrew, the one that no one no one wants to do. None of your friends want to actually review it. <laughs> right, that's us, guys. Thanks for listening, Alex. Thank you very much. And um, a pleasure. If you have to do that one for school, I I pity you. There's better ones out there. Struggle through with it. <laughs> have a Shakespearean day. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.